of it. Our love is what we make of it. Our love is what we make of it. Our love is what we make of it. Sex for smart people. That means you. Oh, oh hi. Hello. Welcome to <laughs> Sex, Shit, and Shame with Sean. And welcome to Sex for Smart People. Our love is what we make of it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. I'm a pooper. Yes, it's true. We no, can have two our things. Our love is what we make of it. I'm a pooper. Our love is what we make of it. So we should explain why this is happening, this craziness. Podcast collision. Podcast collision. Yeah. Podcast collision. Today's a very special podcast for, for all involved because there are, there are two separate podcasts that are colliding, as you may have understood from the phrase podcast collision. Mm. Um, one of What's them is your one? Mine is Shit and Shame with Sean, and I'm Sean Schaffner. Um, and who am I colliding with? Um, and what are your preferred pronouns, Sean? My preferred pronouns are he and him and his. Thank you. I am Stephanie of the podcast Sex for Smart People. That means you, and I use pronouns they, them, theirs, or she, her, hers. I'm Dave, and I also use he, him, and his. And I'm also of Sex for Smart People. And today I am bridging the gap. <laughs> Dave is the missing link between, <laughs> between sex and shit. Between sex and shit, I'm right in the middle. <laughs> Hi guys, what's it. up? What's going on? Um, Sean, I'm so excited that we're here. Yeah. Um, I have been a huge fan of you personally for many, many years. Mm. I am newly a huge fan of your podcast. Thank you so much for being who you are and doing what you do. I couldn't say with you. the same any better that, um, and I have known Stephanie for a long time and Dave for a while as well, and not so much in this capacity of sex for smart people. I was embarrassed to admit to Stephanie's face um, <laughs> that I had, that it had been a few years of doing it and I hadn't listened yet. But, um, but once I started a couple months ago, I became very quickly obsessed and also happened to enter into a new uh, a new partnership recently and that the podcast has been a huge guide in helping me to really navigate that smartly and heartfully and in an embodied and empowered way. And I've told so many people, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen your numbers skyrocket, but if you have recently, it's because it's of me. Of you. <laughs> um, Sean, that's so meaningful. That feels yeah, awesome. It's true. You. It's very true. Yeah. I just, this, this podcast collision, shall we justify the existence of it? Yeah. Let's justify its existence. Um, I just, what I'm so moved by about what you do um i i think that we're reaching for similar things in terms of transcending stigma and shame like how do we hold space for talking about these things which often can feel difficult or icky to talk about and yeah. how do we just talk about what is and find the authenticity there and i've felt like really inspired and challenged to like like i i to examine my own knee-jerk reactions around shit and <laughs> listening yeah. to your podcast in a way that like that has has opened up my world and and um i'm really thankful for that and and it's so important like to like with sex uh, we talk about all the time it's so easy to either have like all this residual puritanical mm -hmm. shame yeah. with no humanity or truth in it. And it's really easy with sex to have all this like excess promiscuity without any necessarily life or truth in it and to find what's real in between. I think that that's parallel to when you talk about shit, like the, the, the extreme of 
we deny that we even are poopers and we, you know, hide everything away and sanitize right. everything is, is one end. And the other end is like gratuitous grotesqueness. Totally, totally. And, and then how, how do we, it's just so much easier to go to either of those poles, at least for me when talking right. about shit and, and how do we find tra- transcend those? Poles? Yeah. I think we're both trying to model um, positive, conversational modalities and positive existing behaviors of like something that everyone is doing and everyone wants to do better actually. And both of us in, in our about sex and about shit are like pointing to something everyone is aware of in our own lives. Like, I don't know how to talk about this thing, or I don't know how to deal with this particular social enclosure around this. And then liberating that conversation as opposed to, and creating that space that's in the middle, you know, Mm -hmm. that when people um, talk to me about, poop and they say well are we supposed to talk about poop all the time is that your goal and it's like no 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 <laughs> it's that we're supposed in the same way that I can be like I I'm I'm really stuffed up right now do you have a Kleenex so I can blow my nose I shouldn't I should be as embarrassed which is to say as not embarrassed to ask for toilet paper right mm-hmm. if I go into the bathroom and there's no toilet paper like these are both things that are coming out of my body that I need to deal with <laughs> whether I want to or not and you need to deal with them whether you want to or not and, and if we can just liberate the conversation, we all find better ways. And, and in a way, it's why I go back to like just listening to the podcast, to Sex for Smart People and That Means You, and hearing other people's take on, um, on consent or on asking for what we want or on saying no and like really liberated me to, with some tools. Um, and, and I think with the comfort of knowing that I wasn't alone in, mm. in my desire to have something be explicit or... Um, and similarly, like when we come out of the water closet, when we admit that I'm a pooper, I've had these challenges, like we create, we change the social culture. And both mm-hmm. of, in both cases, the taboo originated from a civilizing process of Western European culture that led up to the Victorian era where the body was mm-hmm. completely obliterated um, as much as possible and, and rendered invisible, smellless, um, fluidless, sexless, sexless <laughs> yeah. totally right. Like all holes of the body disappeared except the mouth. And it was only appreciated for saying beautiful things. Mm. Um, and outside of that, we didn't want to know it existed. So we're trying to create a normalizing culture around like, rather than the exactly what you're saying, the excesses of w- totally grotesque or not being spoken about at all. What's mm-hmm. the middle healthy zone that helps us all live a, a better life, um, in our mm-hmm. bodies. Yeah, a toast to a better life. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, So on Sex for Smart People, we often address some listener questions collectively. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea being that while Dave and I have read and thought about gender and sexuality a whole bunch, though we are not experts, but um, we really like, like a lot of advice podcasts that, take on listener questions are more about kind of like dishing it out for entertainment value. And our big thing in the spirit of finding that, that middle ground, that truth in between normalizing the conversation is we like, we invite listener questions and in, um, and we really like to hold them in their full complexity and be okay with not having all the answers, but to explore um, different possible responses and be honest about how the questions land with us. And so I'm so excited to do that with you today, Sean, and some questions that pertain to shit and shame. I'm excited to tackle it. Yeah, and I'm scared. I'm scared I won't know the answers. Um, I gotta say that I'm getting like 
after all this time of doing this podcast and always knowing the answers, it's getting really hard for me to hold them back in this way that we've decided to. Well, I hope you can okay, be well. you can have explosive verbal diarrhea and not hold back, Dave. Dave. Yes, I would like for you to to start with explosive verbal diarrhea of the solid answer yeah. to at least the first question. <laughs> And then uh, we'll see where we go from there. Are we going to have lasers, too? On Sex or Smart People, you always oh, have lasers. Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I count that as victory. But Great. I forget where they come. Where do Great. the lasers go? Dave, Dave will, will, will help us get there. So yeah. uh, shall we go into question one? Yeah. I can read it. Help! I'm a gay man, and I'm grossed out by anal sex, and my partner's really into it. All I can do is think about poop, which is the least sexy thing. Ugh. Question number one. Mm-hmm. Dave. Yes? What's your emphatic <laughs> verbal diarrhea answer? Maybe. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> no, that's it. That's the whole answer. That's, that's a solid. also the right answer, by the way. Like, almost always the right answer. Mm, mm, mm. I don't know. Sean, what's your what's your initial initial take on this? Well, I'm a gay man, um, or I'm a queer man. I would is how I more comfortably identify. And first of all, I would just say like it's okay, it's okay to be grossed out by anal sex. That's totally okay. Um, not all things are for everybody, you know. And in the bedroom and in the bathroom, both. Like there are things that will work for you and things that will not work for you. So if you're grossed out by anal sex, like honor that. That's I think that's okay. Um, uh, that, and, and I think especially in like, as queer people in a heteronormative culture, we have adopted the sort of penetrative sex act as being the ultimate in sex. And so we see this gay cultural thing of like, well, it's not really sex until his penis is in my butt or my penis is in his butt. And I, I just don't think that is necessary. And I enjoy those activities, but I also feel like I've had a great time with mutual masturbation and kissing that in many ways is more intimate because I can really be with your face and in a way that sometimes I can't if we're, if we're having uh, penetrative anal sex, we can frottage in a way. This is actually very new to me where I was with somebody and we wound up having what felt sort of like penetrative sex, like with thighs. Um, and that was a, was a really interesting, like, that's how the ancient Romans used to do it, I believe, when in pederasty. Like, so I just would say, like, that's okay. I have, I have more to say, too, about if, if you really want to do it and, like, about that. But I just want to start with, like, it's okay to be grossed out and there are plenty of mm-hmm. other activities. It seems like the bigger challenge is if your partner really wants it, then maybe there's, maybe you need to figure out if, it's, if there are ways to, to get over the gross out factor or to have, create a relationship with the gross out factor. I love all that you said, Sean, and I just want to jump in and second, especially there's this like tie in with identity of like mm-hmm. being a gay man, yeah. like equals anal sex. There's a similar thing to being a, uh, especially a queer person with a pussy and how you feel about cunnilingus. Mm. And um, mm. uh, I sometimes I'm really into it sometimes really not and i've actually had someone say like you're not actually a real queer person because what? 
<laughs> because you don't mean? want those right now. I'm taking your card so, back, Johnstone. That's it. I know, I know. So, <laughs> so with these these ways of like policing. Who in the hell had the temerity to say that? Oh, it's a long okay. story. But okay. but anyhow, the, the point being that this is this is a really like thoughtful person, but like kind of had I think that that she kind of had uh, an identity crisis moment. Like if this isn't, you know, I think that. Mm. Um, I think that she holds that deeply in herself. And okay. so, um, but I, I, what I like that you're pointing to, Sean, is that there are these default scripts that exist mm, yeah. about what your orientation is and therefore what you should be into, like mm-hmm. capital S should. And even that sex should have uh, an end goal, which is penetration, which is, uh, which is orgasm. Like I love the definition yeah. of like, you know, people say having sex often meaning penis and vagina intercourse Mm -hmm. which in itself just like uh, makes invisible and undermines so much queer sex and um and I I just really hate that as a shorthand or people say like it's only fucking if there's penetration and I think that like you're fucking if you feel like you're fucking whatever that means to you you're having sex if Mm. you are having sex like you know and um yeah and so I'm I'm really uh excited about inviting people into the idea that we are allowed to create our own vocabulary about what we do. We're allowed to listen deeply to ourselves and, and what we're into and communicate that to our partners. And mm-hmm. as you said, Sean, then the, the, the thing is, I mean, this question starts with help explanation, exclamation mark. So I'm reading into it that this person uh, may feel like they, they want to examine their gross doubtedness and, um, and, you know, it, because their partner is into it. And I think there's a difference between, like, just not being into something and being grossed out about something. Right, right. And I might even say that just not being into something, cool, awesome. Then you get to decide if you're going to sometimes do this thing you're not into because of someone you love mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the grossed out, like, anytime I'm grossed out, I look at that as a signifier to just, like, how might I look deeper here? Yeah, I love your phrase that you that I was just saying to people last night of like turning towards curiosity as opposed Cole to Park, judgment. Shout out. Um, That's from my dear friend Cole. Yeah, they they are the first one to have given that to us. Yeah, I love that, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, I I think um, I yes, I want to I want to say that like because you are queer or gay doesn't mean you automatically are comfortable with the things that in the script you're supposed to be. And I think there is an assumption of like, oh, I'm gay. I'm supposed to want to put it in his butt. But like, not everybody feels that way. And that's just okay that that, if you don't feel that way. Um, And that I think for many, for many gay men there is, or many people in general who decide that they want to go into anal play. This is like a hurdle you, you deal with of like the, well, what is, what does this mean? Like if I'm going to put fingers, mouth, other things like penis, toys, whatever, near my partner's or my own anus, then like, yeah, poop is a, that's a factor, <laughs> you know, and something you like, you mm. need to consider. Um, and I think there and are many- questions as all I can do is think about is, all I can do is think about poop, which is the least sexy thing. Yeah, and I guess part of what I, my, my the, the deeper challenge that I, I'm, I'm interested in for, A, like I'm curious whether this person is in a position where their partner wants to be penetrated or for or to penetrate them. But in either way, the truth is you poop. And this person poops, this gay man poops. So I think part of the challenge is like it may not be sexy, but I, I want to almost extend an invitation to this person of like, maybe I would guess that this person doesn't look before they flush or doesn't look 
into their toilet paper, really. And I might suggest that's a good place to start is like, befriend your own shit a little bit. You know, that like, it's, it's just the, it's a thing. <laughs> and I, loving your own shit is a little bit closer to being comfortable with the possibility of someone else's. Um, and of course, there's things like douching, you know, if, if that I know people who would do that if before they're going to engage in anal play because they want to feel totally cleaned out. And my feeling is that the douching is not really healthy for your body, especially if it's something you want to do a lot. And my, my personal preference is just like, let's just, let's do what we can and then be comfortable with the fact that poop might appear in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. um, Are there health or safety concerns involved in that? In douching? Or poop? No, uh, in, in in anal play, or and what are they? Yeah, <laughs> I mean there are health concerns in anything, you know. Sure. So so there's greater risk and there's greater risk and less risk, right? Like um, oral analingus, which I guess I don't have to say oral because analingus is <laughs> defined. Rimming, rimming for the cool kids. <laughs> or rimming, right? Totally, or like tossing oh, salad. I don't know. I made it. <laughs> what did you call it? An R job. An R job. <laughs> yeah, an R job. <laughs> Um, is is a higher risk behavior. It is especially higher risk if you are with multiple partners because of the bacteria in poop. Um, it could cause diarrhea. You could get giardia. You could get hep A or B, I think. Stephanie, you might know more about this than I do. But that's not to say that like if, if you're with one partner and you both are pretty confident in your cleanliness, it's a safer behavior. And with a barrier, it's a very safe behavior. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think the same for like, having unprotected anal sex, I don't know. I think you could probably get um, a, 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 a urinary tract infection if, like, you're getting poop into your urethra because that bacteria doesn't belong in your urethra. Um, Same from, like, like uh, hand in pussy going to hand in mouth. Totally. Totally fine. Hand in anus or any, any penetrative thing in anus going to right. into pussy, no go. Right. That's <laughs> like a change the condom, change the wash your hands with soap and water. Um, but, you know, but in general, like I think anal, anal sex for the specifically the penetrated partner is a higher risk behavior because there's micro tears in the lining that can occur. And, um, that's part of why in, in the AIDS crisis, it was just such a thing. Cause it's like, I I'm, I'm probably speaking beyond what I really know. Well, and I think what you're speaking to is, is safer sex risk assessment in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, even beyond the risk assessment specifically with shit, which is a bit of a different equation. Right. Um, and I wonder, our question number two relates to this too. I wonder if we might kind of layer it in the conversation and maybe even loop back to question one. Yeah, I just want to add before, if, before I forget that, um, you know, in that sense, like you're, it is, the likelihood of you getting something that is like a permanent sort of illness is is not as high. I think the bigger problem um, is just is more the psychological. Like, what do we do if sure. suddenly there is poop? <laughs> Shit, there uh, it Dave, is. Dave, will you read? Uh, will you read question two? Yeah, but I also think that that should be your kids' book follow up to <laughs> to everybody. Poops. What do you do if suddenly there's poop? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually okay. Yeah. Uh, question two. Pew 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 pew. Ah, oh, yes, the lasers. Hey, Stephanie and Dave, I'm going to append and Sean. I'm kind of embarrassed by this question. Glad it can be anonymous. I'm simultaneously really turned on by and really grossed out by the idea of scat play. I know that it is too risky to even touch a vagina after touching an anus because bacteria. So how is it okay that anybody ever eats someone else's shit or anything like that? Are there any ways to safely do it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Which speaks more specifically to to safety stuff and sure. shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta be honest, guys. I too feel grossed out by scat play, mm-hmm. and I kind of consistently, even even bringing this into this question in, I feel challenged in myself to um, to turn toward curiosity. Um, and just thinking about, uh, you know, when do we say something is okay or not? Or what is my personal rubric for saying something is okay or not? And um, I just don't want a feeling of being grossed out to ever ever, ever, ever be a rubric for saying something is not okay. Um, I think for me, and this is definitely, like someone could challenge me in these boundaries for sure, but where I am right now is rather than like, is something good or is something bad, like capital G good or capital B bad, more like, is it causing harm to yourself or anybody else? Um, I think it's easy with sex acts to like, say, like push the freak down the line. Like, well, these things are okay, but those people are weird and over there. And I think in my own, I'm not proud of the grossed out feeling that I have around scat play, but in my mind, I, I do that. I like push that down the line a little bit. And Mm -hmm. so um, I'm interested in continuing to learn more too, you know, to say like, okay, I'm not into it. That's okay. I never have to do it. But there are a lot of people who are into playing with shit in a sexual way. And so what, um, what are the way, healthy ways of talking about it and boundaries to have rather than letting my knee-jerk reaction be an, an arbiter here? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just remembering going to a, a like underwear sex store recently with a friend and seeing sheets that were like polyurethane, you know, and being like, huh? ah, these sheets are meant for mess, right? And like whatever yeah. that means, I don't necessarily know. It depends on your your thing. Yeah. Um, and I want to echo with like kindness and and love that I think there's an implicit judgment in the question. That's like, it's one thing to say this isn't. That's not. That's not what I want to do. But mm-hmm. it's another to be like, I, why would anybody? or judging other people who want to do this. I think this person is turning to curiosity, actually, to say, mm-hmm. like, I'm encountering my own judgment, and I just want to know why, why, would, why would people be interested in this? And I would, yeah. would say, to, to first of all, that, like, because of so much stigma and shame around shit, it is titillating to people. And mm-hmm. that we also go there immediately. I, so I, I, my therapist moved, and I had to get a new one. I went to do my intake, and the therapist who was doing the intake... I was like, well, I have this um, this thing. I run this thing called the Poop Project, and she was was like, oh, and and I started to talk about it a little bit, and then we left it, and then she was like, okay, can we just come back? So you like to play with poop, and I was like, no, 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 that's not what I'm mm. saying. Like, let me re-explain this, and I did, and I said, you know, it's really an intellectual thing, it's an art thing, blah blah blah, and and she just couldn't let it go. She was like, uh huh. Do you play with poop? And I was like, no, no, no. But I think this is part of it. Like we, we, be, if there's any suggestion that someone might be interested in shit, we like immediately go to this place of like, oh, you know, oh, you do. And that's scandalous. And, um, and you shouldn't have this desire, but it's part like, because the taboo is what, is what makes it a turn on for people intellectually or in the physical substance itself. 
that what you just said is feels related to how easily we label people as either a prude or a slut. Mm. That if if one shows, I think especially those who are socialized as women, um, that like are uh, like if 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 one shows any interest in sex at all, then oh, you're you must want to have sex with all the people all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you guess? <laughs> that is what I want. <laughs> Which, like, maybe the answer is yes for you, and that's fine. But, but more often than not, it's somewhere in the middle. In right. Because we're reaching for. Right. Yeah. Um, Dave, did you want to say something? Nope. Oh, great. Never. Never. Just maybe. <laughs> um, maybe. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I re- I'm remembering a time when I, the, the very first poop thing I ever did was an installation through in a Chashama space uh, in the garment district, 38th Avenue. And this man came to the installation who I'd met at, at this other event where I was advertising for it. And he, he, first of all, he told me this story about fisting that I was really, it was really interesting to me because he was the person who was penetrating and he described how, and I was, you know, this was a moment for me of like turning towards curiosity. Like, yeah, I don't understand what this is about. And I, that's not to say I've never like looked up pictures or videos and been like, oh my God. I don't know. Anal fisting? Anal fisting specifically, yeah. And, um, and he said, well, there's this moment where like my hand is all, like my arm up to my elbow is inside of this man. And I can feel his body breathing around me. And the intimacy that that required and the like, yeah, the intimacy, the love, the caretaking, right? The like, I am gonna, like, I'm your insides in a way that if I make the wrong move, I could kill you right now. And you trust me and I trust you. So, so I want to take that in the context of like, trusting our partner, trusting whoever we're partnered with to deal with our body in all of its manifestations is part of where I go back to like, to this first questioner, like, learning to love your own shit is, is the, one of the deepest manifestations of self-love and can bring us into loving another in a way that's like, yeah, I understand that like you're going to get sick one day and you might like poop in the bed. We are like that like you're going to vomit and I might clean it up one day. And in fact, I, I say this a lot that um, William Ian Miller in The Anatomy of Disgust writes how love is the antidote to disgust. And someone who does something that we would otherwise say is disgusting when our lover does it or someone who is beloved to us, we, we, we hold our disgust away. We're like... We hold our nose and we do the thing that needs to be done to take care of that person. Um, The other Mm -hmm. thing he told me that was really interesting, this man in the installation, he's like, you know, just on 34th Street, there's like a dungeon and people go there and they get shit on and they get called, you know, a faggot or whatever. And they're all Wall Street bankers. And and this sense of like, sometimes, not everybody, I'm sure, but like being into shit, there is an identification with shitness, with being like shit is society's dirt, dirt being the thing that Mary Douglas, the sociologist, says disrupts the system because it's it's at the bottom of the totem pole. And whenever it shows up where it doesn't belong, it the whole system is fucked because you're like... I'm thinking Mar- Marquis de Sade. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or like, you know, the bed, right? Like the, when there's shit in the bed, like that shit doesn't belong in the bed or there's mm-hmm. a rat in your in your dinner, right? Like a rat... In a mm-hmm. cage is maybe okay. A rat in the sewer is like gross, but that's where rats go. It's in its it's in its proper place in the hierarchy. Yeah. But suddenly, when the hair is in the soup, or the rat is in the dinner, or the shit is in the bed, it's like the 
this matter out of place. It doesn't belong there, mm-hmm. and the whole yeah, system yeah. is disrupted. But for some people, that disruption can be a turn. I mean, it's, it's why anal hot. sex is so hot for so many yeah. people, that it's like, <laughs> I'm going yeah, yeah, yeah. to go in, you're out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think... Um, I have two trains of thought that are coming up for me, and one. Um, Hope they're not heading right the, like, at each other. Here's tracks. <laughs> oh my God! It's a collision. <laughs> <laughs> the the first is you know, in terms of like, <laughs> like the in loving somebody and being like, yeah, you might get sick and poop in the bed, and I love you, like as a form of yeah. love. There's um this wonderful book, The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. Mm. Um, she, I'm going to paraphrase something that she says in that, but essentially it's like a definition of kindness as like, that like kindness is like being able to bear the vulnerability of another and therefore be able to bear one's own hmm. vulnerability. And I think there's something to like, none of us are saying that like someone, sh- you know, everybody should be into scat mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. But that, that like with these first two questions, a big thing is that, um, what would it mean to to be able to bear or embrace this person this person that i love as a pooper and therefore mm-hmm. embrace and bear myself as a pooper as as that form of self love yeah as like having um, a and, whole body go on yeah 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 and the other thing that i'm thinking of though is like as we're talking about finding this this middle space um not just knee jerk grossed out and or or um or like gratuitous excess, then like if you, you know, if, if you are intellectually fascinated by poop, then you must like to play with poop. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how, how do we talk about that? It's like, I mean, please, this, I'm going to speak a, a bit beyond my expertise, Sean, so please rein me in. Um, where you, but like when I, my understanding is, you know, like sewage systems were div- like, it's kind of gone out of control in terms of how much we just like don't look at our own poop and we um, and we say it's oh this thing over here, but yet sewage systems like came into play like because of significant safety concerns. Yes, and and so I am thinking about how even rimming, even licking an asshole, not mm-hmm. like eating shit, like does carry significant risk and lots of things we do in life yeah. carry significant risk, but that we can talk about like with any sex act, like we can talk about risk and make decisions based on risk analysis mm-hmm. that doesn't, that don't, doesn't have to include gross doubtedness and shame. Yeah. I was just reading through Jack Morin's anal pleasure and health. And that's actually why the only reason I'm, I feel that brushed up on my ability to speak of the, the risks of rimming because he he talked about that and uh, but you're exactly right that the the sanitary revolution of the 1860s came about because they were like oh people are getting sick because there's shit in the water but that said also like at the time that wasn't necessarily a bad thing to people i mean you have to contextualize that 100 years ago in new york city there was shit all over the street because of horses and wild pigs and people, and you were literally carting the contents of the cesspool over to the Hudson to be shipped upstate where it would be fired into bricks of manure used to fertilize the fields and then brought back down as food and then go through that cycle over and over again. So like shit was very common. It wasn't, our threshold of what disgusted us was much higher. I mean, think about the, the like, I think it was uh, Queen Elizabeth who fairly famously said, like, I take a bath once a month whether I need to or not. 
So if you think about sex mm. with somebody who hasn't bathed in a month, like that was how most people lived. And mm. like body odor, right? Like that was, we, it was just a stinky fucking world. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and, <laughs> and so you have these really fascinating and sort of hilarious accounts to us of, um, I'm thinking of a Josephus, the uh, Roman um, ex, uh, like convert to Christianity who wrote about the Jews and he writes about the Essenes, the sect at one point about how like when they go to the toilet, they wash their hands afterwards as if they'd done something dirty, right? And nowadays, if you were like, wait, you just went, you just pooped and you didn't wash your hands, we would be like, that's not okay, I think. But exactly to what you're saying, the, 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 the physical manifestations of that, the way we are containing the literal bacteriological contaminants is right, but we've gone so far overboard with containing every element mm-hmm. of social sphere around it. Like, there's no reason for the word shit to be taboo. The word is not going to hurt you. The word doesn't smell, you know. Um, right. So I think we, we have a culture that I think our first questioner is probably responding to. Where like, in terms of matter being out of place, there's, there's, very, there's no place in our culture where shit belongs even in our, in our bellies or in the toilet, it's sort of like, we don't really want it there. We want it to be out of these places as soon as possible. So there's just a coming to home, a coming to middle ground of like, I accept that there are boogers in my nose. There are eye boogers in my eyes. There's wax in my ears and there's poop in my colon and it's going to come out my anus. (laughs) Um, And there's, there's menstrual blood in my uterus. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. If you have a uterus that does that, then there's, that might happen to you. You know, I just met the woman who founded Thanks actually. And um, the, the underwear that absorbed menstrual blood. And and she also, it so happens is working on a bidet project called Tushy. You can find it tushy.me. If you go to tushy.com, it's a porn site. And interestingly, when she introduced this, she was on a panel that I, I came to see um, mostly so I could meet her actually, because I love the Thinks ads there. I don't know if, if you live in New York, you've seen them. Probably they're like a runny egg. That's like an egg that's running down a thing of glass, um, or a grapefruit. That's like half of an open grapefruit. Like it's just so explicitly vaginal or menstrual. Like, Oh, an egg is traveling down my fallopian tubes mm-hmm. and is coming out, you know, <laughs> like this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And they're shocking in a way you're like, Oh my God, stop being mm-hmm. so Frank, but they're not being Frank at all. It's a grapefruit. I'm not actually looking at a vagina and I'm not actually looking at a woman who is bleeding out of her vagina. I'm looking at an egg. But it's like, I love the way they're playing with with how confrontational it feels because it's so taboo otherwise. And Uh. another shout out to the awesomeness of Thinks, um, which I have not tried yet, but would love to. Um, they They make all gender thinks mm. meaning like like wow. styles for for people with pussies uh regard not necessarily <sighs> feminine people with pussies that's and so I progressive. Just, like, that's so important and so progressive and it's like it, it is progressive and it's like it almost shouldn't be but it like but right. it is um but but cheers to them and they also are doing lots of drives to provide because they're so in i don't know the exact statistics but in mm-hmm. less privileged countries and cultures often like they're um uh people with pussies miss school yeah um, when they have their period because they can't necessarily afford tampons or whatever and so things is also sending like doing drives to send things to those who need them yeah well. well the whole sense of i mean just tampon like the everything that has been created to absorb menstrual blood outside of the cup was invented by men who don't have pussies you know and uh-huh. um and 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 they're 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 so linked. Both of these, like the 
in this place, 50% of, of women in sub-Saharan Africa will drop out of school when they reach menstrual age because there are no toilet facilities. So even if they have like a, a rag with which to absorb their menstrual blood that they can wash out every day, they don't have a place to go to change that pad to, to deal with going to the toilet. And if it's, you know, at a certain age, you can go behind the bush, but you get to be a woman if you live in a Muslim country, in a society that's more modest in general, like you, you're going to need to have another place to deal with that. So access to bathrooms, access to menstrual blood, and I would, access to menstrual blood, access to <laughs> menstrual hygiene. And, and I would say more largely like that, again, the destigmatizing of the body and the body's different manifestations and specifically in a way, the female body, like the body... And, and maybe not just the female body, but like the body that leaks. Um, this is part of what the Victorian bourgeois were when, when we began wearing, you know, morning clothes as, as clothes because of Queen Victoria and like covering up the entire body with sleeves down to our wrists. And the, the, the Victorian paradigm specifically for the bourgeois and the aristocracy was basically that the body would become a solid fixed entity that doesn't do any of these things, you know? And that was a total tonal shift from the Middle Ages where in, in 1696, Christian Paulini published the Drek Apotheki, which literally means like poop pharmacy. And it was an entire compendium of medical recipes that included shit, animal and human. So partly in answer to this, to this person's question, like, has there ever been a time when eating poop is okay? Like, yeah, <laughs> there was a time. Almost always. Almost always, yeah. We're sort yeah. of the exception. Mm -hmm. Like the Buddha's scat was dried and sold as a curative pill uh, because going back to this sociology of hierarchies, like the Buddha is so high, even his shit can cure you in the same way that like we have old Catholic relics that are like a, a, a hand, you know, a severed hand that has curative powers, even though in another context that's like a corpse hand is disgusting. Um uh -huh. So, and fecal transplants huh. as well, that like there is in, in many, in the animal kingdom, when a child is born, sometimes when a child, when an, a small animal is born, sometimes their first meal is their mother's feces, because that is the way to colonize mm -hmm. the bacteria in their gut. And we are finding now that, that similarly, we can recolonize guts that have become unhealthy in terms of their microbiome and all the bacteria living in and on us, which are basically a phantom organ of digestion. Mm -hmm. Um, through either oral or through the nose, directly into the stomach, or um, or through an enema, which go also goes back to why douching is not such a great idea because you don't want to continually flush all this bacteria out of your colon. It's there mm. for a reason. Um, like when you take antibiotics and then it kills yeah, the good bacteria too. Exactly. We reach the thing that that I will admit grosses me out is mm -hmm. the idea of the microscopic world that exists on my <gasps> body. I know. <laughs> I will. <laughs> just just instinctual revulsion when I think about the fact that creatures live on me and I know that they're great many of them are very helpful I know that they're that but they have those they have those blobs There's of dust bites. fauna in your intestine I yeah know, I, don't like it. I don't like it and I am trying to turn to a curiosity yeah and it it's also why like you shouldn't go around eating people's shit like because some of that bacteria is really good some of it is is good in their body and personalized to their equilibrium. But if you're getting it in your mouth, it can't, this is what diarrhea is largely, you know, it's like getting fecal contamination that your body needs to get rid of. Can I jump back to something you said? About... Uh, 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 oh, go uh -oh. for it, Dave. Uh -oh. <laughs> this is something about demystifying the body being an important part of, of 
I think you said that something about demystifying the body being an important step towards this and that shitting is part of the body. And this seems, I hadn't put this together before, but this seems necessarily tied in with this new spate of bathroom laws that are happening in, in conservative States. Uh, and just yesterday, the North Carolina law introduced mm. that will ban localities from making laws saying that we can't discriminate against people using the bathroom that they want to, uh, or that they should uh, have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, that this has that this idea of the body's waste being a being necessarily closed from public view also has these like rippling ramifications against uh, of us continuing to to uh, I don't know belittle people on a social scale. Yeah, and I think and also I that, together. that bathrooms are are places where gender is policed, right? So like yeah, if you're sure, yes, I mean think about in gay sex going into the bathroom um and which is both an an outpouring of like if there's no public social space in which to be homosexual you're gonna go into a space that's private and a space that's covert um but also that like if i'm in a bathroom and i tap my toes in a certain way like something very exciting might happen to me if i'm in a bathroom and i tap my toes in a certain sort of way to the wrong sort of person i'm gonna get the shit kicked out of me um and similarly, friends I have who are who are trans who have gone into the bathroom that they feel most uh, aligns with their gender identity, but maybe there's a person in the bathroom who doesn't see them that way, you know. And there's this moment of like, oh, especially I would say more in like people who are going into a women's bathroom who others are not identifying as women. There's this like, oh my gosh, you know, what are you doing here? You have to get out. Like this is our space. Um, so it's it's a yeah, I don't know what else to say about yeah, that. Two things on that before we move on. I know this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but um, but uh, I just I a couple of the people in the world who are dearest to me are trans and are gender nonconforming. And when it registered that, like, oh my god, on a daily basis, yeah, like yeah. just to go to the bathroom in a public place, like registers deep fear, not mm-hmm. just like discomfort, but like, but can like. That just it's just heartbreaking. And so then the the counter thing that I want to put it in the space to that is that this new study that came out, which was it was actually done through a marketing firm. So it was, but um, it's something that the the percentage is something like seventy five percent of people under age twenty five are in favor of gender neutral bathrooms. Mm, wow! So the times Good. they are a change in they so are. I love that. I love that so much. That's so gratifying to hear. I also just That's want to in contrast to much less of older than 25. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the whole gender equation and um, I don't know. I was also just going to contextualize to note that we're, we're recording this podcast in March. So the, the thing that you, Dave spoke of about in North Carolina, um, when you're listening to this in April, it happened a month ago. <laughs> um just so we know, but you know, bathrooms are there. They are very specifically private spaces, often in public, where we get to sort of drop our guard down. And there, are, there are very clear rules to them, and that we that are not explicit though, but they're like clear, and everyone knows what they are, right? You know, like in a men's bathroom, which urinal to go to. Um, uh, I can't speak as much to to, to female gendered bathrooms, but but I do want to note that in terms of like liberating the body and all of this, one of the big Um, challenges that I cannot believe we haven't gotten more on top of is just like equal bathrooms 
that the, the House yeah. of Representatives didn't get a women's toilet near the chamber floor until 2011. You know, that is a basic gender equity oh, issue. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. So if you want to... And that's even speaking to the fixed binary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... Totally. Even within that bullshit, you can't even get it. <laughs> yeah. Around. Right. And, and so there's this thing yeah. where people are like, oh, you know, like, dudes are like, well, you know, if, like, if my girlfriend wouldn't, you know, put on her lipstick in the bathroom, then, like, she wouldn't take as long. Well, the truth is that the design of most bathroom spaces is that a urinal takes a lot less space than a stall does. So mm -hmm. I, I was at LaGuardia not too long ago, um, and there was a line coming out the women's room. There was no line in the men's. I go in. I see the men's. There's like five stalls and four urinals. And the urinals are in this alcove in such a way that I can promise you all four urinals are never being used at the same time because it's just like mm -hmm. de de decries the laws of physics and and general heteronormative comfort with like being that close to somebody else while your penis is in your hand. Um, and that's also part of what's interesting about bathroom spaces is the way they conflate like, here are your sex organs that in one way we're like, oh, don't let anybody, you know, touch your, your privates. And then here's this place where we're suddenly like letting it down and there are certain barriers, but not necessarily total barriers. And so we, we erect social barriers that take care of what our sight lines and our smell lines and our hearing lines can't do. Right. But then so that come out of the bathrooms, it's a total of nine toilet facilities, five stalls, four urinals. And I ask a woman who's works for LaGuardia. And I happen to be wearing my I'm a pooper sweater. And I'm like, look, I do this poop thing. Like, here's my sweater. <laughs> Can you just tell me how many units are in the, the women's bathroom? And she says there are five stalls. And I think this is really standard. Right. That like you put nine facilities in the men's room up against five facilities in the women's room. You, you give them clothing that sometimes takes longer to take off. You give them pee, poo, and menstruation on top of that. You give them more likely to be with the children um, and to have to deal with that. And the fact that women use the bathroom as a social space in a way that men do not. And that is why you have extra long lines. So like the, like the female liberation, or, or I don't even know if that's exactly the right term, but there is like, this is a, this is a huge feminist action and a, and a base point mm -hmm. of like what it means to live in a gendered body or in a body that is mm -hmm. that is uh, in in unequal down to to this core um that's really mm -hmm. fucked up anyway <laughs> thanks for listening oh man i love you guys and i'm so glad <laughs> to get to dig in <laughs> in this way with you yeah as it were um i just mm. feel a bit of a responsibility to return to a little more things to grasp onto in terms of are there any ways to safely do it in terms of eating shit or even rimming. Um, and I don't have conclusive perspectives here and neither does any of us, I think, but I think um, let's just see where we corroborate on, on our understanding. Um, I tend personally, um, I tend to be pretty conservative in terms of safer sex assessment, like until or unless I am in a really, really long-term thing with somebody. And so I don't do any licking of any orifices without, um, without protection for a while. And I actually really enjoy the sensation of you can put some lube on the body side of plastic wrap and then put plastic wrap mm. over the part of the body that you are licking. And it's a cool, it's a different sensation than tongue on skin for sure. But it, um, but it is like a, a different kind of delicious I find. Yeah. And um, in terms of the, the possible sensations. And so that's always possible. Gloves are always a great possibility if you're playing with asses and having sex. Um, 
slip on a glove before you're putting your finger in anybody's anus and then you can slip it off when you're done and then your hand is free to do other things. Um, again, as we said, um, hand from pussy to mouth, great. Um, from, uh, from anus to mouth or pussy, not as good of idea. Just definitely a bigger risk, though, though not... Um, yeah, but oh, some people do that too. Um, but um, Sean, how does that corroborate with your understanding? I think that's a pretty good understanding. I mean, I think it, part of what I love is like a different kind of delicious, what you just said. Like to me, the realization that the, my partner and I could achieve like a very satisfying orgasm without anal sex, but using other options, right? It was like, it's a different kind of delicious. Mm -hmm. and there, And some nights I want vanilla, some nights I want chocolate, some nights I want sprinkles, <laughs> you know, like... To really uh -huh. have a full repertoire. Um, I think that uh, your own shit is never dangerous to you from my understanding because all the bacteria that are coming out of it are like are already in you. Um, they're certainly not deathly and I and I would argue, I would would suggest again like corroborate with this this with a, a doctor probably um, before you go and yeah. take any advice from me about it maybe I don't know uh, but I'm gonna give advice anyway um, is uh, that um, the worst thing that's going to happen to you probably is you're going to have some bad diarrhea yourself as your body's like, oh, I got to flush these, this other person's stuff out of me. If they happen to have a parasite like Giardia, you could get something like that um, or hep, hepatitis. I do understand. There is some risk of hepatitis. Right? Yeah, there is. And, and that's where um, just localizing into one partner is really helpful. That as your, as your biomes commingle a little bit, like it's, it's probably going to happen. Um, and, you know, and I know... Dave, this is going to probably gross you out more, but most people have about, uh, uh, I think, a small paperclip's worth of feces in their underwear or in their butt that's just, like, there. No matter that's how fine. well you clean. Just the thing's living on my body. That's the problem. Totally. And these things came out <laughs> of you so and are living in you. But if you're sleeping in the same bed as someone... Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Right. Rolling around with their body. You're mm -hmm. interacting with their shit in some way. You are yeah. already in their... If your toothbrush is out and you're flushing a toilet, there is already poop spray on your toothbrush. So I don't say that to gross anybody out. Um, I say it to just like bring awareness to the fact that we think there's this fine line between like what I will do and what I won't do. And it may sometimes be helpful to be like, you might already be doing it and just <laughs> not know. Um, and that everything is more nuanced than, yeah. Yeah. Than, yeah. Yeah. I mean, any nakedness and fluid exchange carries some risk, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we all make choices within that. But I would also say that, like, with a steady partner, it, your risk is less with a monogamous steady partner, and that depending on what is your what you're interested in around scat, there are other safe ways to do it. I, from what I have heard, there are like, um, you know, you might be just able to like suffice with watching something while doing a different behavior, right? Like. Um, or also there are uh, perfumes or fragrances that can simulate, stimulate, simulate, that's the word I want, simulate to stimulate, simulate the smell of shit in order to stimulate you if it's the aroma that's part of your thing. Um, and if it's a texture... Well, I know somebody who... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, there are other things that you could play with, you know? Like, what would it... I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, if it's, a, if it's a squishy factor, like, I know I've read online... Every so often you fall in an internet hole, right? And you're like, oh, suddenly I'm reading about somebody who likes mm -hmm. to poop in their diaper and sit in it for a while. And like, there's, I mean, 
there's nothing harmful about that as far as I can tell. Like if that's yeah. your thing. And I know somebody who likes to play with shit but not eat it. And mm. that's and like goes nuts with gloves and plastic wrap and containing the right. shit. Right. 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 And so, then takes a good hot shower after. Yeah. 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 And I think too, I'm pulling this in with the first question as well. I'm I'm, I'm going back to Jack Morin's anal pleasure and health. And what I love about it is he was actually I think he's a psychologist and he had a lot of hemorrhoids. And then he was like, I want to have a better relationship with my body. And so much of the book is like looking at your anus and like touching your anus on the outside and writing about experiences you've had with your anus. And then like very slowly putting a finger in, doing a daily finger in the shower of just like, how's my anus doing? Like throughout the day, touching back in, like what's going on here? And, and again, what I love about it is like, yeah, your end goal may be like the best anal sex of your life, but whether that is or isn't, like he's he's offering a a routine for healthy for a healthy relationship with a, with our shadow, right? Like with the shit as the psychological shame, as the psychological um, animality, or like yeah, shadowness that to mm-hmm. to create a closer, more loving relationship with yourself and with your body. And also, just to say too, that if, if you do want to have anal sex and you're worried about um, about poop stuff that like or anal play, a good a healthy diet is also a big part of that. That like um, you're a lot less likely to to get poop on somebody else's finger or penis or toy if your if your feces is solid and it's a easier for you to evacuate, which means like eating high fiber, getting a lot of water, getting exercise, potentially squatting or using a stool, a squatty potty, or a, a life platform or whatever, nature's platform, something that um, helps you to evacuate fully. And also, frankly, in, in my experience, like, I'll generally, like, if I know that I'm going to be a penetrated partner for anal sex, I'm going to, like, stick my finger in my butthole and be like, I'm not touching anything. And if I if I feel poop, I'm going to take care of that. And, like, and if I can tell... <laughs> Probably moves is too graphic, but if I can tell that there's something that's like just beyond the reaches of my fingers, but it's solid, I'm not gonna let that worry me. I generally I've found that like a partner's finger penis um, toy is just gonna push it up a little bit further, but it's not gonna make a mess as opposed to something that is that is not solid. That is much more likely to be a problem. Um, and by problem, I just mean if if <laughs> encountering poop is going to be a problem for you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now the entire yeah. world <laughs> knows these things. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Sean. And so, for our listeners who um, would like to listen to other episodes of Shh podcast on shit and shame, where can they find you? Yeah, if you Google or if you iTunes, um, S H H H. iTunes won't let us spell out shit and shame with Sean. So when you find it, it's like S asterisk asterisk T and shame with Sean. Um, and uh, and <laughs> we're also on poopcast.libsyn.com, um, poopcast, L-I-B-S-Y-N, that's Libsyn. And for people who are regular listeners of shh, who want to find sex for smart people, and that means you, which of course I recommend you do, where can they do that? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sexforsmartpeople.com has everything. We're on iTunes and Dogcatcher and Stitcher and uh, any any of those places you can find us. And we love hearing from you. Um, if you have any questions, uh, ideas, objections, mm. um, please write to us and you can find how to, how to reach us. Yeah, I feel like we both had some moments, we, all three of us, where we were like, I'm not sure that I'm the expert on this. And I would love to invite, if you are the expert and you happen to yeah. be listening, please contact us through our social media pages. Oh, gosh, yes. 
um, and or yeah. or personally, whatever. And, and Sean, I understand. And when I, when I listen to you, you end your episodes with a joke, yeah. <laughs> and we end our episodes with saying what we think is the sexiest that week, as um, just a celebration of the diversity of what people can be into. And so oh gosh, I'm so do? excited to do. Let's both do both. We're gonna do both. <laughs> it's a collision. Yay! Let's do both. Let's do both. Collision. Uh, let's do jokes, jokes first, because sometimes jokes are hard. I wrote a joke. I wrote oh. a joke. Oh, this is the best. It's the first ever like true joke. It's not a broken joke. It's not. It's not a meta joke. It's just a fucking joke. And I wrote. <laughs> You're building this up pretty high. I, think. <laughs> I, know, I think. I think it's pretty solid. Are you ready? What's bigger than a tuna? <laughs> I don't know. A threena. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I work with young children. Wow. I am so gonna retell that joke. Oh, for sure. Have at. Mic drop. I release it to the world. <laughs> I would like to follow up with that because I have a joke that I think is connected that maybe you already know. Um, okay. Do you know why six was afraid of seven? Yes. Because. Because seven, eight, nine. <laughs> that's it. Uh. Oh my god! There's nothing more to say. No. Do you have a joke, Stephanie? Oh, God. I mean, oh, it's, re- I, I mean, I love it. It's really good. I think you should tell it. Let's hear it. Okay. If it's, your, if it's the joke I'm thinking of. <clears throat> yes, it's my favorite joke. Yes. Maybe none of you will like me anymore after you hear it. But, um, <laughs> so, this whale walks into a bar. Mm-hmm. And the whale goes, <laughs> at the end of the joke. I think that the goal is to keep it up until everyone else leaves the room. That's so funny. <laughs> Stephanie, I should say, is also a really brilliant composer, and some of her music <laughs> can sound not like that. But I was like, oh, I think she wrote. I think she wrote this. <laughs> oh, I think I've like seen that. this sheet music before. Yeah, yeah. I was so, uh, I'm so lucky to get to work with Sean on, on, uh, as a wonderful singer. Sean one yeah. time sang a song that you composed and I wrote the lyrics for. And one time Dave McGee directed a show that I did with the last person on our podcast, Amanda I Miller. heard that one. Um, so, so everything so is So many collisions, you guys. Yeah. Just so, so many collisions. I can so handle many. it. So for our last collision of the day, um, let's say blank is the sexiest. I'm thinking being... So think for a minute. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Come on. I was thinking about Dave, it during the whale me sound. Me and Sean last. I, I'm thinking for a moment. I'm feeling the pressure. Just let it go, David. Just let it go. Whales are the sexiest. (laughs) (laughs) I think joy is the sexiest this week. I think 
being seen and accepted in your entirety is the sexiest. We are here. Oh, Sean, thank you for this podcast collision. Thank you, Dave, Stephanie, That's thank awesome. you so much. Really, guys, honor. do you know about whales? <laughs> I heard they're the sexiest. <laughs> no, but, but do you know humpback whales? Can we end with the choir? Oh, the a whale, whale choir? Yeah. Ready? Can I tell yeah. you one thing about humpback one, whales first? Two. Yeah. Okay. Do you know that? Wait, which one? Which one? Yes to me or yes to whales? Yeah, you're gonna tell us the thing about whales, yes and then to you, and then okay. to and whale then choir. Quiet. So whales are mammals, right? Whales can get the bends just like we can if they if they go down too deep and come back up too quickly. Huh. So humpback whales actually um, come up to breathe and they oxygenate their entire blood so it's fully oxygenated. And then they collapse their lungs so that the, the inside of their lungs is sticky and so they press them together so that there's not that gap so that they don't get the bends. Then they fold their rib cage in to stop that space from, from being there so they can dive down and come back up without getting the bends. And then when they come back up, they can re-expand everything, and then they can uh, they can breathe again. That's fucking insane. How awesome is that? Whales oh are sexy. That's they're why like, I say this. They're like um um I don't a superhero or something like yeah. a mutant. Yeah. But they're whales. They don't they don't need to they don't need to de- depressurize when they come up from from the deeps. Thank you for sharing that, Dave. You are welcome. And Stephanie, I love whales. You want to count us in for the choir? Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> Podcast Collision. Thanks again to Sean for the invitation. And as we always say, but really, really cannot say enough, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being in conversation with us. And we love to be in touch with you in all of the ways. You can email us at any time. Let us know your thoughts, your ideas, your objections, any questions you'd like us to address in a future episode. And you can find us, of course, on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr. And all of our information is at our website, sexforsmartpeople.com. And if you dig what we do and you're not already our patron, we'd also deeply appreciate it if you could go to patreon.com slash sexforsmartpeople and consider throwing us a buck or two per episode. We deeply appreciate it. It helps sustain us and keep us going. Um, and on our next episode, we are excited to welcome the amazing Dylan Marin, writer performer of the neo-futurists and Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind, uh, in addition to many other things. He also has this amazing website and blog called Every Single Word, where he puts together a uh, montage of every single word spoken by a person of color in a lot of mainstream movies. And of course, those montages are often heartbreakingly short. And that's what he's pointing out. But he's an an amazing, amazing human. And uh, we're excited to share that one with you. That will be out on May 15th of this year. So we hope to catch you then. Please be well. Happy spring to everyone. Take care and see you next time.